This is an ABC podcast. Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack Podcast. What's the worst smell you can imagine? Could it possibly be the smell of millions of dead fish rotting under a scorching outback sun? Because one community's living that nightmare right now, and it's not the first time. In a bit, you're going to hear about this huge fish kill that's got locals in outback New South Wales at breaking point. Also coming up, is Donald Trump going to be behind bars by the end of the week? Because he's saying he's about to be arrested. We'll fill you in. First, though. Hack. This horrific death has obviously shocked the community all across Darwin, particularly the hospitality industry. On Triple J. Something horrible happened in Darwin on Sunday night that's got people really upset and some really angry. A student working at a bottle was killed while getting through his shift like any other hospo worker, maybe like you right now. Declan Laverty was allegedly murdered by a 19-year-old who was on bail, and his death has led to a huge community outrage that's prompted the Northern Territory government to announce today that it's reviewing bail laws and potentially giving police more powers. Crime's a big issue at the moment in parts of the country, not just in the NT, in WA as well, in Queensland, and each place is dealing with it differently. In a bit, we're going to unpack that a bit more, but first, here's Miles Holbrook Walk in Darwin. Declan Laverty was a student in Darwin. He was 20 years old, saving money while working at a bottle shop. But all that ended on Sunday night when Declan was killed. Just before quarter to nine, I um, received a text. And um, the text was, um, love you, Dad. And he had texted his mother the same thing. That's Declan's dad, Damien, who described his son's final moments. Paramedic met me and I explained who I was and um, he explained that Declan had passed. Keith Kiranawa, a 19-year-old, has been charged with murder. He's accused of stabbing Declan and he was on bail at the time. The death has sent shockwaves through Darwin and pressure's been building on the government to take action. In the NT, you may remember, there's been a big focus on crime. Barely two months ago, PM Anthony Albanese visited Alice Springs, where locals say they've had enough. Now, calls for action are getting louder in Darwin. The NT's opposition leader wants the Chief Minister to resign. The countless stories of families who are at the point of packing up and leaving this place where they have invested so much of their lives because they've simply had enough. You should demand better of your government. Enough is enough. The head of a group representing hospo workers and businesses says the situation has to change. There's still a lot of hurt out there, a lot of anger and a lot of frustration. We can never let this happen again. I might just leave it at that because it is so still very raw. And today, the government acted. Today I'm announcing a number of immediate measures that we can work together, industry, government, so that we can have that safer community. And it will review the bail laws for offences involving a weapon, including the presumption for and against 
bail for such offences. So there's a lot of changes Natasha Files laid out, including what she just mentioned, which is reviewing bail laws, looking to make it tougher for people to be granted bail if they've been charged with an offence involving an edged weapon like knives and spears. There's also going to be a new proposal to make it easier for police to stop and search people in Darwin. It will allow police to stop, search, detain and seize anyone suspected of carrying edged weapons or weapons for that matter. The government's also going to give power to transit officers and security guards to carry pepper spray and says there'll be heaps more cops out in public. But not everyone reckons this will actually improve things. We've seen this tragedy um, take place here between young people. Adding these extra powers now, these laws, is only going to increase crime and it's not going to address the real problems. Malilma May is a Gulambringin, Dungalaba and Tiwi woman and she leads Uprising of the People. She says the possible changes to the bail laws could lead to unintended consequences. Issues have been raised on the racial profiling that takes place amongst the police force and the racism in the police force. And this is something that a lot of people of colour and black people know to be true. Police say that's not going to happen, but Malilma isn't so sure. One thing everyone agrees on is Declan's death is tragic and people want to see changes to make sure no one else goes to work and doesn't end up coming home. The thing is, is that I agree with the very same people who want youth crime not to exist anymore. However, we know the solutions, and the solutions are services that are designed by Aboriginal people for Aboriginal people. Hack on Triple J. Miles Holbrook Walk reporting there from Darwin. Let's unpack this a bit more now and find out what is happening in other states, because we know youth crime, bail laws, changes are being made all over the place. Narita Waite is CEO of Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service and she's with us now. Narita, thanks so much for joining us on Hack. Not a problem, Dave. Firstly, the NT government's announced this review of bail laws, of police powers. Queensland last week passed controversial youth crime laws. What do you think of these changes that are happening in Australia now? Uh, first of all, I just want to acknowledge the tragic death of Declan and, um, you know, the the pain and suffering that his family are needlessly going through. Um, nobody should have to go through that. Um, often what we see in these tragic situations is governments making um, instinct decisions rather than good evidence-based policy. Um, we know that this fails time and time again um, and instead often um, leads to what they title unintended consequences, um, which costs communities um, and individuals their lives and their sense of safety as well. Um, certainly in Victoria, we've seen this um, out of the 2018 Burke Street incident. Uh, bail laws were further strengthened um, and then we led to the death of Veronica Nelson who um, was reminded um, for simple shoplift um, and Veronica um, 
circumstances are not unusual. Um, each and every day, um, there's about 37.5 Aboriginal people arrested in Victoria, um, and the vast majority of them um, face remand um, simply because of um, petty offending, um, born out of poverty and disadvantage. Yeah, as you say, Victoria is an interesting example because, um, like you said, there was this horrible Burke Street massacre a few years ago, then the laws were tightened, but now the government's planning on changing that, right? Like what's happening in Victoria at the moment? Because we did have the coroner come out and really slam those bail laws saying they were a complete unmitigated disaster. And now it looks like there's moves from different sides of politics to wind them back. Mm. Um, So certainly even before those changes had been made, um, experts um, and even their own independent review had warned them um, that implementing harsher bail laws would result in these consequences um, that we saw. Um, We've seen huge increases in the rise of people on remand, which means that the vast majority of those sitting in prison right now in Victoria are on remand. Many of them will not be convicted of offences, yet will have lost their housing, their employment, their access to services and their ability to survive, to survive um, not even to thrive at that stage. Um, we also know um, just in raw numbers, um, we've seen a 200% increase um, in the Aboriginal prison population since that time. We also know um, that those on remand, they actually don't get access to support services. So they're sitting there unsupported, unassisted, just languishing. Um, And that's not something we want. It's not something that assists with community safety. And um, many of the social circumstances you see in Queensland and Northern Territory and in my own state are born out of spending more money on prisons and justice system and not enough money on those critical support services that we need like mental health. You know, with the um, Aboriginal self-harm and suicides going up 75% in the last two years, Um, you know, with alcohol and drug services, um, housing, getting roofs over people's head, connecting them to employment, all of those things is where we should be devoting our attention and and our resources. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking to Narita Waite from the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service about um, bail laws in Victoria, but also around the country. There's, you know, lots of changes being made at the moment, proposals being put forward. Narita, there's going to be people listening now thinking we need to do something. Crime in some areas is ridiculous right now. Locals are struggling. How do you respond to those saying that, um, you know, there needs to be immediate actions to help solve crime issues rather than um, actions that might take longer? I do agree with them that there there does need to be immediate action. That immediate action is investing in support services. Those support services can turn around quick results just in terms of immediate safety. Um, A lot of the time, um, those who are committing crime um, are suffering from things such as mental health, um, alcohol and substance abuse, Um, learning disabilities, um, all of those things can often combine in the one person. um, And just by providing some intensive case management support, you can turn that situation around. We also know um, that certainly we need to be smarter with um, our policing. And um, I know in the package earlier, um, there was really thoughtful um, comments given around um, how we experience policing and how that just doesn't work. Um, We also know that 
going straight to a tough on crime agenda is something that is done um, to satisfy media um, and make it look like they're doing things. It won't actually change. Um, and often the voices of marginalised communities um, are the ones who are sidelined and then suffer those so-called unintended consequences. Well, I was going to ask, do you think that, you know, do you worry about political pressure that builds because of the way things are covered in the media? I do. I worry that all it means is pol politicians get more power, police get more money and power, media get bigger audiences and ad revenue, um, and your disadvantaged communities are the ones who are sacrificed and the social issues that are causing the problems are never ultimately fixed or even addressed in the slightest way. All right. Look, there's um, so much to unpack. We appreciate your time, um, you know, talking to us. Narita Waite from the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. Thanks for coming on Hack. Thank you, Dave. And we've got some messages coming through. Keenan in Melbourne says, this is tragic and there are obviously a lot of moving parts to this NT situation, but no one should be getting stabbed to death at work. Something needs to change. Another person, search powers are only going to continue to perpetuate distrust and racial profiling. Victoria's bail laws have been disastrous for mob. It's such a tricky issue, but the solutions stem from community-led prevention programs, not upping police powers. Then we've got other people. Someone says, stop sticking up for the people who've done bad to others. It's BS. And Mortimer says... You want to fix youth offences, build a lot more prisons or explore why it's happening. Knee-jerk policy after the fact helps no one. Hack. There'd have to be a million fish dead within, what, a kilometre of the river? It's not pleasant. It's a shame the camera can't pick up on the smell. On Triple J. Hey, have you ever had a seafood Christmas and forgotten to get rid of your prawn shells properly? And then after a few days you notice how gross that smell can get. How did such a small bag of little shells get so putrid? So imagine what millions of dead fish stretching kilometres smells like, baking in the sun in a place where it's not uncommon to get over 40 degrees. I'm sorry, I know it is disgusting, but it's what locals in the outback New South Wales town of Menindee are dealing with, and they're not dealing with this for the first time. The fish kill on the massive Darling River is devastating. Residents are worried about the environment, their health. So what has happened? Angel Parsons explains. The river is our lifeblood. The level of distress and trauma that's in the community around it, they're probably sickened, for want of a better word, by what they're seeing. Definitely brings the mood of the town down. As this boat slowly motors down the Darling Barker River, it parts a thick blanket of fish carcasses floating on the surface. It smells, it's pretty pungent at the moment. Menindi resident Graham McCrab was out looking at the sheer scale of this fish kill. So probably 20 k's down, it's just fish, uh, fish from one side of the river to the other. And he's not exaggerating. Bodies of bony brim, perch and cod by the millions, leaving Menindi frustrated, devastated and reeling from the awful smell. It hangs over the town. The water's our lifeblood and it's, you know, what we enjoy and, yeah, it's really de devastating. Local man Michael Minns says the river turned an unsettling shade of green. It's 2018, 19 all over again. With three separate fish kills that took place in rapid succession. It's a national disgrace. This once magnificent Murray cod is dead. For me, it was like the coral bleaching moment for the inland. It was an incredible wake-up call. 
A few years ago, mass fish kills again near Menindee made international headlines. Drought and mismanagement of water resources were blamed. This time, authorities say it was a combination of low oxygen levels, recent flooding and heatwave conditions, and that the scale and size of this fish kill is much worse. Everybody is just blown away. This is Michelle Kelly, Menindee Local Aboriginal Land Council Director. She told ABC Broken Hill that the community feel frustrated and ignored. There was 50 recommendations made out from that, them findings, but there's nobody had said, hey, this is where we're up to. So the community is sort of left in the dark about what, what's happening to the recommendations. The river is our life blood, the level of depression, you know, the cultural significance, the spiritual, when it's like it is now, it's just a feeling of hopelessness that no one wants to take any responsibility for it. Obviously, if we're taking out a million fish from an ecosystem, that's certainly going to have an impact. I've seen the videos and the photos and it seems catastrophic. University of Sydney Associate Professor Joy Becker says gathering data from this event should help authorities and scientists be able to better predict when and why it could happen again. We need to be looking at how we can improve our river ecosystems at this point in time and then looking to ways where we can forecast and predict when we have those conditions for very high likelihoods of events and we can start to think about types of remediation that we can put into place help prevent future kills of this magnitude. Um, Fish kills, maybe not quite on this magnitude, um, do occur as as part of contributing to how that ecosystem cycles. What's happening here and the frequency and the extreme level of fish kills that we're seeing, that's something that we certainly need to be thinking about. So a massive effort to remove and dispose of the fish is now underway, involving contractors, commercial fishers and fire and rescue services. A community meeting was held yesterday between government officials and residents who raised concerns about risks to the town's health and safety, and things got pretty heated. Authorities at this stage say the town's water supply is still safe to drink, but many are concerned. Tests so far haven't detected abnormalities, but testing is ongoing. Residents know that long after this floating mass grave of fish is cleaned up, the environment and community will still be affected. Just awful, just awful for the town. You know, we don't want to be known as, you know, of the fish kills. We want to be known as, you know, a beautiful lake system, beautiful river system. You know, beautiful sunsets and, and a beautiful outback town. And, yeah, and, and our name's going to be <laughs> associated with this again. Hack on Triple J. Angel Parsons with that story. And, hey, a huge thanks to the ABC Broken Hill team who've been on the ground covering this. They've been speaking to all the people you've just been hearing from. You know, there aren't a lot of politicians out there at the moment. That's got locals a bit angry as well. I think the Greens MP, Kate Fairman's one of the only politicians to have gone out and had a look at this and now the Greens say there needs to be a Royal Commission into the management of the Murray-Darling Basin. So look, it's going to keep being discussed in politics. We'll have more on it as the days and weeks roll on. Hack. I booked the red-eye flight home from Bali because I like to save money, but I did not plan on getting a mild dose of Bali Belly the day that I left. On Triple J. Hey, have you ever been overseas and had a massive problem? It's scary, especially if it's your first time away. You don't know who to contact, what to do. Often there are Australian officials that can help out, 
but that kind of depends on where you are and what your problem is. So there's a really big push at the moment for young people to get across Smart Traveller. I don't know whether you've heard of it, if you've used it. It's a website run by the Department of Foreign Affairs. It's full of information like travel advice with concerns, warnings for places you might be going to. It also tells you where you can get help. And the government's trying to make sure you know about this. The Assistant Minister for Foreign Affairs is with us right now, actually. Tim Watts, thanks for coming on Hack. Good to be with you, mate. You're on a big push to get people across Smart Traveller, what it is, how to use it. Is that because we're seeing a bit of a spike in people needing help overseas as everyone gets back into travelling? Yeah, well, I mean, after the border closures for COVID, you know, Australians are back to travelling with a vengeance now, you know, so those holidays we put off, the family reunions, you know, maybe the work trips, they're, they're happening now. So a million Australians are leaving the country every month and, you know, there's a bit of a dynamic that it's been a while since most Australians have travelled, a couple of years maybe since the last time you got out in the world. And, yeah, we're really sending that message to Australians that the best way to stay safe overseas is to avoid trouble in the first place, to plan ahead, to prepare. So we say the first destination for any overseas trip should be the Smart Traveller website that okay. has that information you need. So what are the main issues that people do have overseas? give you some examples that have come across my desk. There was someone overseas in India, for example, um, trying to get some photographs of a, a religious site. They sent a drone up. Big problems. So they were arrested. They were charged. You know, they contravened local laws and regulations. Wow. Um, another example, a uh, young couple went across to Los Angeles, got off the plane, had a bubble tea. Um, you know, first day they're there, the boba gets stuck in the bloke's throat. $100,000 worth of medical fees later. Oh. So that's, you know, the most expensive cup of bubble tea anyone's ever had in the world. Luckily, they had travel insurance. The travel insurers picked that up. Um, but if they didn't have travel insurance, that would have been a very expensive trip. And the Smart Traveller website you know, has, a, has a comparison tool that lets you find the travel insurance that you want, partnering with Choice. So it's independent, objective analysis to get you the insurance that you need so you don't have one of those expensive um, surprises on holiday. So if you are in a situation where something big happens to you, maybe you're in trouble with authorities or maybe it's an accident or something like that, where do you go to for help if you're already overseas? Um, like, do, does Australia, it obviously has a lot of consulates around the world. Is there always some sort of presence around to help out? So Australia has an extensive diplomatic network and where there are Australians on the ground, you know, we will do everything we can to, to help an Aussie who's in trouble. The best thing Aussies can do is if they're going overseas, go to the Smart Travel website and register with that country and then you'll get updates. So if anything changes on the ground, if there's like a security situation that emerges, a natural disaster, something that happens unexpectedly, you can get alerts through that, that uh, update service. So Smart Travel is the place to get the advice on entry requirements, for example, local laws, regulations, security situation, health situation, etc., but also to stay up to date once you're in the country. Is there also an issue with people tying up resources with stuff they don't need to be tying up resources asking about, like people hitting up officials with random stuff that, you know, takes up a lot of time? Yeah, I mean, look, it, it, it is a bit of a, a cliche that, you know, you're getting the, uh, the questions about, you know, where are my frequent flyer miles for my evacuation flight type thing. Um, but I have to say the vast majority of Aussies who contact our consular services looking for help, you know, they're legitimate issues. They've, they've Something in a, has come up unexpectedly. They're looking for advice and support on the ground. 
so we'll always do everything we can, but the best thing that Aussies can do is prepare themselves. So to know what the local laws are, know what the local customs are, know what the security situation is, the health situation, so you can avoid that trouble in the first place. I mean, you mentioned insurance before and said people can compare policies, uh, that sort of thing on the Smart Traveller website. In the past, we've had young people saying, look, we've been caught out overseas because our travel insurance didn't cover stuff like um, mental health um, concerns, uh, incidents related to mental health. I mean, obviously, you need people to be across what's in the policies because I, I noted that like mental health incidents are, like, are one of the common things that people experience overseas. Young people are the most likely group of people to think, I can get away without travel insurance. But the really key message I want to send to you is if you can't afford travel insurance, you can't afford to travel. But it's really crucial that you get the right insurance policy for you. And, you know, you've got to read the details. You've got to read the terms and conditions. That can be a pain. That's why we've got this website set up on Smart Traveller, partnership with Choice, so that you can look for the insurance policy that serves your needs. If you have special needs, if you are doing particularly dangerous things overseas, like, for example, skiing is a good one, you're going to need a particular insurance policy to cover you for that situation. All right. Assistant Minister for Foreign Affairs, Tim Watts, thanks so much for joining us on Hack. Good to be with you. We got a lot of messages coming through on this one. Someone says, I'm certainly not anti-smart traveller, but if I always heeded their advice, I would probably never have travelled. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes you really want to be listening to the advice on there. Someone else saying, what was the name of the travel insurance website that had a list of all the options? Well, look, they're talking about smarttraveller.gov.au and then if you go there, it'll point you in the right direction for travel insurance. Someone else, I've always used Smart Traveller. It always makes me feel a bit safer, better, knowing that if anything happens, people know where I am. It's especially good in case of a natural disaster. That's true. And someone else says, use the website before our Indonesia trip. And it was great. Hack. Our enemies are desperate to stop us. And they're looking at the polls where, not me, but we are up by so much. They can't even believe it. On Triple J. Hey, what's going on with Donald Trump? I know. The most asked question of all time. (laughs) But he's all over the headlines again because he's out there saying he's about to be arrested. And now authorities in the US are on alert for massive protests in case that does happen, in case he is arrested. So what is this specifically about? Because we know that Trump's had a whole heap of legal issues over the years. Dr Emma Shortus is our US politics expert. She's from RMIT and she's with us now. Emma, thanks for coming on Hack. Hey, thanks for having me. Why Donald Trump saying he's about to be arrested? Why is that happening? Look, we're not entirely sure, but it seems like he's going off media reports. Um, This is specifically around an investigation that's happening in Manhattan. And some of the moves of that investigation, the kind of people that they're getting to testify, suggest that they're getting closer to making a decision about potentially arresting the former president. Right. And so is it likely to happen? Do we know? Look, it's always hard to to tell with Trump, isn't it? But I think think it is pretty likely. You know, it definitely feels like watching the um, news coming out of the US, it feels like something's brewing. Okay. So what is likely to happen here if, you know, he does get arrested? Do we know what kind of charges he could be facing, penalties he could be facing? 
Yeah, look, it's all pretty murky. We don't actually know a lot at the moment. If he is arrested, things will become much clearer. This is the case around um, his potential hush money payments to, to Stormy Daniels. And if he is charged with like something like a misdemeanor, which is a pretty low-level crime, he could just get off with a fine. But if it's a bigger crime, a felony crime, he could be looking at up to four years in prison. We don't know how likely that is. Um, but it's worth remembering, you know, this is only one of the cases that Trump's involved in. So he's looking at a whole suite of different potential penalties. Right. Okay. I was going to ask about that. Like we know that he's had all these legal issues in the past. Is he still really in the thick of it? Yep. He really is. <laughs> and and it's, um, it's only likely to get thicker, I think. Like he, so he's got this case that we're just talking about in Manhattan. There's also one in Georgia around his attempts to influence the outcome of the 2020 election. And there's also a federal investigation through the Department of Justice around his role in the January 6th insurrection, you know, how deeply involved he was, whether he supported that insurrection. And that could lead to, to federal criminal charges as well. So all of this could be happening. Trump could be dealing with up to four criminal cases while he's campaigning for the nomination for the presidency as well. So it's only going to get more chaotic. Right. And could it impact his run for presidency? What happens there? So there's no um, legal reason why he couldn't run. Um, he, he can certainly run. He could even um, be president from prison, you know, if it came to that. Um, but the potential for it to impact his campaign, I think, is huge because if he's dealing with four different criminal cases in different parts of the country, you know, he's going to be forced off the campaign trail to, to testify. And, you know, we know that Trump doesn't necessarily perform well in situations that he can't control, you know, in places like a courtroom. So I think how this plays out remains to be seen, but but I think there's no doubt that the impact on the campaign will be huge. And how is that all playing out? Like things are moving along. Other people are putting up their hands and saying, oh, I'd like to run for president, like from, you know, for the Republicans. Is it all like moving pretty fast? Yeah, it's moving super fast. And I think, you know, there's a potential for this to to damage Trump's campaign a lot and make room for someone like Ron DeSantis, um, the governor of Florida, who's kind of making noises about um, running for president. But I think we also shouldn't underestimate just how much Trump has captured the base of the Republican Party. And in the end, they're the ones who decide who the Republican nominee is for president. So I think we should be really careful about riding off Trump, even which is extraordinary, you know, even though he's going through all of these criminal cases. Well, I think if there's anything we've learnt over the past few years, Emma Shortus, it's, um, you know, not to be surprised. Anything can happen at any time, right? Any time, especially where Trump is concerned. Dr. Emma Shortis from RMIT, thanks so much for joining us on Hack. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack podcast for now. I'll catch you next time. Hack on Triple J.